Hi folks, what you're listening to, as you probably guessed, is the song What's Up by Fordon Blondes being played backwards. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know the roots of this saga. In a perfect world, What's Up by Fordon Blondes, the protest song of 1993, the song that led to the revolution of 1993, would be the song that introduces this podcast. But of course, for copyright issues, I'm not able to use it. I've been using copyright-expired music, which, let's be honest, is tinny and crappy and kind of proves that everyone born in the 19th century sort of sucked. No exceptions. Anyway, last week, I tried to see if I could sneak What's Up by Fornon Blonde onto the podcast by playing it at the same time as a copyright-expired song, and I was not sued. I have not been sued in the past week. Patchouli Records or whatever label put out that song has not found me and sued me because software on the internet that kind of searches for the digital profile but I scrambled the digital profile so I have done it again by playing the song backwards and I kind of like the song backwards I didn't think I could like that song anymore I like it a bit better backwards and it's funny I was thinking about (laughs) you know that rumor in the 60s that um, Paul McCartney had died and was replaced by an imposter and if you played I think it was I am the walrus backwards there were subliminal messages saying that Paul had died and been replaced. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking how funny it would be if What's Up by Four Non Blondes had a subliminal message in it. And then I found the subliminal message. Let me play it for you now. Did you hear that? Let me play it again. She's saying, where's Ani? Where's Ani? Listen to it again. Where's Ani? Clear as day. One last time. So here's what we know. The song What's Up by Four Non Blondes has a subliminal message encoded in it that is clear as fucking day when you play it backwards. And that message is, where's Ani? The only question is, what are we being told? Here's my theory. I think Ani DeFranco has been replaced by an imposter. Folk songstress Ani DeFranco, who is very much in the same genre as Four Non Blondes. My theory is she died in the early 90s and was replaced by an imposter. Here's the next level of that theory. I think the replacement was the original Paul McCartney. I think Paul McCartney didn't die in 1968 the way we all thought that he did. And in fact, maybe he just, he just suffered a serious injury. And then sort of went into a state of torpor and just sort of hid under a rock the way like a fox might. He hid under a rock for 30 years, emerged, saw that he had been replaced, thought, what do I do now? And did the only logical thing, which was to murder (laughs) Ani DeFranco and don a wig. I, I can't prove every word of this theory, but you have to admit the pieces fit together. Paul McCartney murdered Ani DeFranco and replaced her in the early 90s, and that is the only explanation I can think of for why there's a subliminal message in the song What's Up by Four Non Blondes that is clearly revealed when you play it backwards. Hello, I'm Jeff Maurer, and that was the stupidest intro I've ever done by some distance, and I have done some awfully damn stupid intros. Nonetheless, this is the I Might Be Wrong podcast, which is the podcast component of my Substack, which you can find at imightbewrong.substack.anidefranco. Please go, please visit, please share the articles with your friends and enemies. 
It is currently completely free for a, a little while longer. We're getting close to the get a monetize date, but we're not quite there yet, so it's still 100% free. Also, you can always leave a positive review of this podcast, whether you mean it or not, just to be a nice person. Today's episode is called It's Always the Adult's Fault. I wanted to write this one because I write a lot about stuff that's going on on my side of the aisle, on the left, intra-left, tension, whatever you want to call it. I do that because I think those are the most interesting discussions right now. They're maybe not the most important, but they are the most interesting because who needs another article pointing out that Ted Cruz kind of sucks. I write about that stuff, and Jesse Single, a writer who I read, his substack is singleminded.anitafranco. He wrote an article where he was kind of questioning, he's 38, I'm 41, he was kind of questioning, am I, I feel like a bit of a cranky old man, where's that coming from and why? And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, because I'm at that age where you're kind of getting older, and I kind of feel that to a certain extent, the cranky old person feeling is what you're supposed to feel, and failing to feel that feeling is a bit of a failure. So let's get into it. The article is called, It's Always the Adult's Fault, subtitle, Stupidity is Supposed to Expire. So as I mentioned, Jesse Single had an article on his substack, singleminded.anitafranco, that it struck a chord with me, no pun intended when you see what it's about. Uh, he described how the attempts at social commentary on Arcade Fire's new album, so we really have a 38-year-old talking to a 41-year-old here because we're talking about Arcade Fire. <laughs> the social commentary on Arcade Fire's new album kind of made him feel cranky and old. Here's what he wrote. I'm quoting now. He says, I was surprised how annoyed I got at the band's attempts at social commentary. Just this roaring jolt of curmudgeonliness. My peak peaked, that's wordplay, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. My peak peaked while listening to End of Empire 1-3, to which is one track, as well as the next one, End of Empire, parentheses, Sagittarius A, asterisk, and parentheses, Jesus, with the song titles, Arcade Fire. That was me speaking. Back to Jesse. In the first song, lead singer Wynn Butler sings that we are, quote, standing at the end of the American empire, end quote, in case you didn't glean from the title which empire he was referring to. It's incredibly deep stuff. And this is still Jesse later on in the article. He says, I'm 38 now, and things just don't generally feel as new or intense as they did when I was 22. Maybe there is a 22-year-old for whom Arcade Fire's latest album captures the present moment perfectly, and listening to it causes them to delete TikTok or whatever, parentheses, though I don't know how many 20-somethings are listening to Arcade Fire, and parentheses, end quote. Okay, first things first, me speaking again, let's not kid ourselves. The only 20-somethings listening to Arcade Fire are suspected terrorists at black op sites being subjected to sleep deprivation torture. But more importantly... I am a little bit older than Jesse, so I am a few Arcade Fire albums ahead of him. For me, The Suburbs was the album that made me kind of roll my eyes and think, Jesus, it's like Holden Caulfield started a band. Now, let me be clear, I do <laughs> really love Arcade Fire. I like their music a lot, including their new album. I listen to it a lot. But I do always ignore their lyrics, because <laughs> at the end of the day... Arcade Fire's Win Butler, though a genius, is just some fucking moron. Honestly, I find it funny that I ever searched for meaning in lyrics. Because think about it. Musicians 
usually find fame in their 20s. Their 20s, when they've got audacity and drive and 6% body fat, what they do not have is any perspective that could fuel insight. Think about this. If a 23-year-old barista handed you your coffee and said, hey, uh, by the way, we live in a wheel where everyone steals, would you think, whoa, who is this sage beverage purveyor? No, you would not. So why the fuck did anyone, anyone on the planet, have similar thoughts for even a second when Gavin Rosdale from Bush sang that line <laughs> in the 90s? Why do we examine these things? Why did I pour over Doors lyrics searching for meaning? Why did I listen to Celebration of the Lizard and think, oh man, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? It means that in between doing enough drugs to kill a blue whale and serving as the base of some disgusting, sweaty, hairy, hippie sex pile, Jim Morrison realized that you can't just yell, come on, come on, come on, for an entire album, so he wrote some shit about lizards. That's what it means, Jeff, you fucking moron. Now, when you look back at that stuff, when you look back at the stuff that you did in your 20s or that... <laughs> musicians did in their 20s because they're just 25-year-old jackasses too. The right response to that is to laugh it off. Yes, I was a doe-eyed little dupe. But you know what? That's how it goes at that age. Eventually, you do get older and you slowly realize that most of what you held sacred was a hot plate of bullshit. And you do try to approach new things with an open mind, but you also know, statistically speaking, that most of what glitters isn't gold. 90% of good news is actually just a scam to get your credit card number. That's how the world works. That's what you realize as you get older, or at least that's what you're supposed to realize. It does seem like we're in an era in which too many adults fail to develop world-weary skepticism. Too few grown-ups are taking on the role of the soft, tempering force that subdues youthful impulses. And in the absolute saddest of cases, some older people are actually embracing youthful nonsense in a desperate attempt to stay relevant. I find it bone-chillingly pathetic. And let me digress for a minute. It seems like this is happening. Is this happening? I don't know. It's a societal trend. I can't prove it's happening. You can't prove it's not happening. Let's just agree, please, that when the phenomenon I'm talking about does happen, that's bad. Moving on. The most obvious place where adults give in to youthful nonsense is college. College students produce overzealous silliness the way the Keebler elves make cookies. It really does seem to be the main thing that they do. And this reality, I think, that college students just... A lot of them do stupid stuff. That will just always be true. That's kind of part of the world we're living in. And one of the most valuable things that college provides is a low-stakes environment for people to do some of the dumbest things they will ever do. That is all normal. What is not normal is for college administrators to respond to garden-variety flare-ups by fanning the flames. And we have seen some of this. There are links to the examples I'm talking about in the written version of this article. You are not supposed to discipline a janitor 
based on unfounded charges of racism. You are not supposed to punish a professor for speaking Chinese while talking about China. You are not supposed to be part of the seemingly endless parade of administrators indulging silly campus freakouts until they become national news. When the Student Alliance for Swift and Brutal Justice demands that French toast be removed from the cafeteria because it's a symbol of colonialism, you, as an administrator, are supposed to thank them for their concern, assure them that you will investigate, and then do exactly nothing. You are not supposed to start firing lunch ladies like an ancient priest chucking virgins into a volcano in a futile attempt to appease the gods. The French toast example was made up. The other ones are real. Youth-led revolts at major companies have also been indulged by grown-ups who should really know better. There have been a bunch of these incidents in the last few years, but the most high-profile one was probably the New York Times forcing out editorial page editor James Bennett. Reports say that the revolt was led by young employees, no surprise, who were mostly on the business side of the Times, and that is a little bit of a surprise. Business side meaning they were not reporters, they were people who sell ads and stuff. That makes the case infinitely more fascinating to me, because it does raise the question, what exactly was the Times afraid of? They were afraid of a bunch of 26-year-old social media strategists saying, hey, most prestigious news outlet in the country, do what I say, or else me, my eight months of experience, and my communications degree from USC are out the fucking door. What? I honestly wonder if Times shareholders have a lawsuit based on the fact that management did not immediately issue a cake with goodbye written on it to any person making that threat. So it's college, it's the corporate world, and I also feel that entertainment is riddled with... <laughs> Middle-aged sad sacks pandering to the perceived tastes of young people in a desperate attempt to stay relevant. I gotta be honest, one of the most pathetic things I have witnessed in recent memory is John Stewart, whom I loved and who walked away a legend in 2015. But he returned to make a hyper-woke, extremely ignored, nobody watches it, show that is, quite frankly, dumb as a bag of fucking hammers. Jon Stewart, that au courant 59-year-old, has now joined Twitter, and he has joined TikTok, where you can find videos like this one starring LeVar Burton, another guy I love. Why does it have to be all people I love? This is the type of fare you can find on Jon Stewart's TikTok account. I'm going to play a short clip for you now. So, in this new series... I'm going to teach you why this country won't raise the minimum wage. Where's that book for the little internet course I'm doing? Ah, here it is. <laughs> this all started with slave labor. But Kunta don't need to read that shit. America won't raise the minimum wage because they're used to getting the work for free. Ugh. Jesus, that, that's just brutal. Watching that is just brutal. That video kneecaps my opinion of Jon Stewart and LeVar Burton at the same time. Gee, are there any other videos out there that are deeply embarrassing to people I love? Maybe you've got a video of Barack Obama shitting his pants. Or Big Bird arguing that 9-11 was an inside job. 
Those would be in the same genre as this video would be to me. This video is absolute torture. I would honestly rather drop acid and watch all the Saw movies in a row than watch that video twice. Because, obviously, slavery is not why people oppose raising the minimum wage. People oppose raising the minimum wage because past a certain point, a high minimum wage causes unemployment. Now, we can debate exactly where that point occurs and how direct the cause and effect is. I happen to be a person who believes that the relationship is kind of loose, and for that reason, I generally support a higher minimum wage. But that trade-off that I just described, that is the source of the informed opposition. It is not because, to quote that very stupid video, they're used to getting the work for free. Who's used to it? Who's 200 years old? Jesus, Ani DeFranco Christ. If you are going to be an adult who talks about politics for a living, that shit about the minimum wage, that is the kind of shit you are supposed to know. You need to know that, and when some wet-behind-the-ears 20-something writer who doesn't know that pitches the premise for that video, you, the grown-up, are supposed to say, that's hilarious, I love it, and then toss it into the bottomless pit that is the final resting place of most pitches. If you do anything other than that, I feel, honestly, that you're kind of shirking your responsibilities as an adult. And to try to put this in some context, I've written before about what I see as the symbiotic relationship between liberals and leftists. That is in an article on my substack called Let Me Tell You Why I Suck. Yes, it is an article tracing the historical relationship between liberals and leftists whose title is a quote from Tommy Boy. Anyway, that article is about the relationship between liberals and leftists. And roughly speaking, to kind of summarize the article, a leftist's job is to give liberals like me the sack that we need to attempt big things. And in turn, a liberal's job is to take the far left's very stupid ideas and turn them into something workable. This relationship, as far as I can tell, it seems to be basically encoded in nature. Leftists and liberals are kind of the oxpecker and the wildebeest perpetually coexisting for mutual advantage. And that interplay, I think, roughly tracks the relationship between young adults and older ones. Young people have... The idealism, the verve, the drive, the looks, the charm, the energy, the initiative, the creativity, the fearlessness, the zazzle, the style, the grit, the zeal, and also, importantly, the ability to see themselves naked without getting depressed. I do not have any of those things, but I do have something that young people don't have. I have a bullshit detector. My bullshit detector is switched on at all times, and it is a finely tuned machine. I am in the garage every damn day, cleaning the gaskets and adjusting the belts so that motherfucker is going to be purring like a kitten for many years to come. And I see that as my role now, as I get older, as I look back on my younger self, and also as I think about fatherhood, I am understanding my role a little bit better. I used to fear getting older. I used to be afraid of becoming irrelevant. I don't fear that anymore. I get it now. People don't become irrelevant as they age, their role just changes. They stop being the player, but they become the coach. They are in the background, not directly doing the thing, but very much guiding the people who are doing the thing. It is an evolution born of the fact 
that we start out our lives with endless initiative but no wisdom, and as time goes by, we trade the former thing for the latter. And those are sort of the roles we play, and the system breaks down when older people don't play their role, when older people fail to gently nudge young people away from nonsense. That can happen because of stunted development or cowardice, and honestly, I do not know which is worse. If an adult never has the moment (laughs) in their lives in which they think, wait a minute, these lyrics to this song that some ex-theater kid wrote while high are a bunch of bullshit. If you never think that, well, you know what? That is a problem. Because it means that you are not developing the nonsense-free view of the world that is supposed to come with age. And if you do have that moment, but then pretend like you didn't because you're afraid that you might look old by admitting to being out of step with the zeitgeist, then I, for one, frankly find you pathetic. You are Steve Buscemi in that famous 30 Rock meme with the backwards hat and the skateboard saying, how do you do, fellow kids? If that's you, I think you honestly should ditch the act and embrace who you are because the world does need old people and young people need old people probably most of all. And that's the episode. So, you know, to fully appreciate this episode, I guess you kind of need familiarity with, let's see, The Beatles, Four Non Blondes, Ani DeFranco, and Arcade Fire. That is an eclectic mix of musical history. I really probably should make a syllabus so that people can do the required reading so that they can get all the jokes. I guess also they need to know uh, Reading Rainbow, The Problem with Jon Stewart, and The Saw Movies. Okay, it's decided. I am doing a syllabus. I will put it up on Blackboard. Please download it before the next podcast. Be sure to do the reading and be prepared to discuss because that is part of your podcast participation grade. That's it for today. Once again, please like, subscribe, mail me a Fabergé egg, blah, 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 whatever. I will, of course, be back next week with another episode. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Hashtag Rosani and bye for now. Bye for now.